I suppose having uh, just read the Scripture, you can pretty well guess that our topic for today has to do with prayer. This last, I don't know, few, few months, I've been really gaining a heavier and heavier burden that challenged me with my concern that we are a spiritual body. Um, not here just because of what's uh, exciting or comfortable or, or fun or our friends or anything, but we're actually here for the very reasons that uh, Brother Al mentioned a few moments ago. We are truly a family, a support system. Uh, as we come together in unity with a desire to find God's guidance for our lives, and that we can also be a mutual encourager to others. As I looked at Luke chapter 18, I saw a very simple lesson. One that everyone in here has probably read numerous times over the years. And yet, the question is not what we know, it's what we practice. For us to be truly spiritual people of God, our greatest need is to have God guiding us from inside as we go forward and face a, a lost world. Even as we've recently been watching some of the occurrences going on both in Canada as well as in the United States related to decisions that do have to do with morality and values. We have to ask ourselves, how do we, as Christians, knowing that our values do not reflect what our society is saying is acceptable, how do we deal with that? How do we respond? How do we not come across as a bigot or a pig-headed individual that simply has all the answers and they don't match the society in which we live. How can we show love and care, acceptance, in a sense, of the person? How can we do that thing which has actually become quite trivial in terminology? We talk about we love the sinner, but we don't love the sin. That sounds a little silly, but it's very, very true. But how do we express that? In a society that says, you have to accept me for all that I am. You know, the truth is, I don't accept anyone, including myself, for all that I am. Because I know that part of who I am is his filthy rags. Part of who I am has thinking and values and thoughts and ideas that are very unhealthy. Part of who I am is very selfish and focused on myself and not even considering the will of God, which in Matthew 6 is what we're taught is the main core of what prayer is all about. Prayer is not about spreading it out, making it as long as we possibly can and trying to show how smart we are. Also, the last few weeks, I guess you could tell I've been going through this for a period of time, this struggle. 
As you've looked, maybe, for those of you who did bother to look in the bulletin, I actually spoke several times about the topic of prayer. And it's because I'm so much concerned that we be serious about giving all we are to God. I believe, I believe, I believe if we will give all we are to God, God will bless our church. He will bless you. Now, the word bless may not match what you want it to be. Bless doesn't mean we're going to get rich. I don't believe in prosperity gospel. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have the greatest job in the world. Sit back and, and have your own little throne to live on uh, and, and to manage here in the, in the world in which we live. But you will know that God loves you. You will know that there is a purpose for your life. You will be able to make a contribution in the society in which we live. Last weekend, uh, I went to Squamish with the Cantonese congregation uh, for a church retreat. At the retreat, Pastor Sam shared several times from the book of 1 Peter, and just as many of you even in here do this when I'm speaking sometimes, or when Pastor uh, Gilbert is speaking, or others, uh, the Scripture will come out and he'll give his presentation, or I'll give my presentation, and you may be looking at the Scripture at the very moment and your mind may be on a different Scripture than the one I'm speaking about. I remember last year at our uh, summer con, uh, we Guan's group uh, managed to do that several times to my great uh, <coughs> blessing. As we would have, a, we were dealing with the topic of Nehemiah and going into these things, and I'd say, "Well, we Guan, what you got?" He said, "Well, we kind of left that topic behind." But you know, if you're seeking God in the midst of it all, still okay, still okay. That's what we want. And when I was at Squamish, Pastor Sam was up and sharing his thing, but I got caught up. On 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And again, I think it's because God has been walking me through this. In chapter 1, verse 17 of 1 Peter says, Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as sojourners here in reverent fear. Now, I'm going to go back and look at that in three sections real quickly. Since you call on the Father. The emphasis there in this scripture in First Peter is to say, since you call, means I expect you to be calling on the Father. So brothers and sisters, what I would say to us is, our fellowship with God truly is like it is in Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. I don't know how you pray without ceasing, but some of us cease a little bit. I want to pray without ceasing. I can remember an experience with a buddy of mine when we drove from the East Coast to Texas. And we were working in it, working with an organization, and he and I were both uh, in administrative positions. And we got into this long discussion, and finally we clicked it over into prayer. And we prayed for, I can't remember how many hours as we were driving down the road. Now, that kind of prayer is not the kind where you bow your head and close your eyes. But we were driving down the road talking to God and asking God to bless guys that we work with overseas to work in their lives to make their ministries effective and of value. It was a wonderful time with God. 
But the scripture says, since you call on the Father, there's an expectation for prayer. So ask yourself, ask yourself, do I pray a lot? Do I pray enough? Am I dependent on God as much as I should be? Do I give Him praise in the way that He desires and deserves? The Scripture is just challenging us there. It's, but it's saying it's an accept, expected expectation for us as believers to have that kind of fellowship with God. And then it goes on and said, And that very God, the Father, judges each person's work impartially. He treats us all the same. He respects us all. You don't have to have any special degrees to have God's acceptance. You don't have to have any special abilities to have God's acceptance. He wants to talk to us all. He wants fellowship with us all. That's the kind of father we have. One who doesn't say, unless you do well in your grades, I'm not going to talk to you. That's not the father we have. The father we have is the one that says, your grades haven't gone well. It doesn't change a thing. I still love you. I want to relate to you. I want to hear what's going on in your life. For those hours that Buddy and I drove across the country in the United States as we were driving across that area and talking with God, we were sharing everything we could think of because the fellowship became so rich. But this Father judges people in that way. But the point that we have to recognize, part of that is, He does judge. He does know whether we talk to Him. He knows whether or not we ignore Him or not. The Lord is impacted when we ignore Him and we're too busy for Him. So the Scripture says, as you're praying, which I know you're doing, The Father who loves us all and who will, by the way, be disappointed if you don't talk to Him. He's challenging it. There's a challenge in there to say, stay focused on our spiritual lives. Spiritual life doesn't necessarily mean just coming to church so you can put a chop to say you were here. You know, I can remember a time in my life when I thought to be a Christian meant to go to the worship service on Sunday morning and attend Sunday school. Now, there's nothing wrong with attending a Bible study. There's nothing wrong with going to church on Sunday morning. But if you think that's all there is to being a Christian, you've missed the mark. And the Scripture is trying to challenge us to say, the Father knows our heart. And we'll look more at that in a moment when we look at Luke. Then it goes on and it says exactly what Brother Al said a few moments ago in his prayer. Live out your time as sojourners here in reverent fear of God. Live out your time as... In other words, never build your building to live here to last for eternity. We're all living in tents, so I guess we all need to go support, put up in the tents in a little while. Because tents are short term. You put them up, you use them, you tear them down. They may last 30 years. They may last... 30 minutes. But we're sojourners in the world in which we live. And if we start camping out here thinking that this is the long term of all there is to be a follower of God, we're wrong. 
Because the Scripture says, while you're here, fear God. Now, fear God doesn't mean go to, to back off and be afraid of Him, but it is a challenge for us to respect His position. As our Creator, our God, it does not say, make God your buddy. You know, I struggle sometimes with the music that we sing. Not in here so much, but some music. When we, we as Christians, we try to treat Jesus so much as our good friend that we forget He's also the one who gave all that He had for us. More than a friend, He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is the one that gave His life for me. As we look at Luke chapter 18, we look at the words and see what it says. It says that uh, since you call, assumes, you know, in here it says it's, that the, the Scripture is written to someone, or to some who were confident of their own righteousness. So we have to recognize why Luke 18 was written. It was written with the idea that, that there obviously are those people who have overconfidence in their own righteousness, their own ability to be righteous. And so it's saying that, and I don't know where you are on this, but I know that many people that I know, and sometimes myself as well, get a little bit too cocky. I think I know too much. I think I'm a little too sure. I'm successful in something. feel really good about myself. The Scripture says it related to our spiritual walk, which is very, very important to us as Christians. We have to ask the question, is our righteousness truly based on the blood of Jesus? Or is our righteousness based on what we think we're doing and how well we're doing it? If you had to make a list of what makes a, per a person righteous, my fear is that we would use all too many descriptions that are very much not accurate. So the Scripture says that this was written, it says, to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on others. Jesus told this parable. So there is a level of contempt, a level of pride, uh, certainly showing a, a, a level of, of attitude in this. A number of years ago, uh, I, I went to Malaysia. And when I was in Malaysia, I, I kept noticing in so many of these buildings, they had this word Kiblat, K-I-B-L-A-T. Do you know what K-I-B-L-A-T is? Kiblat. When I went in, I had no idea. I thought Kiblat. Hmm. Okay. Must be, I, I didn't have a clue what it was at first. But then I started noticing it was on the top of the ceilings in the hotel rooms. Kiblat. It's a message to let you know in which way you direct your prayers toward Mecca. It's to help you guide your prayers. Because for the Muslim who is faithful and prays five times a year a day, it's very, very important for him to focus each and every day five times in the right way. If he aims the wrong way, it's not a good prayer. And so I kept seeing this Kiblat sign everywhere. But... Even though we as Christians don't have a Kiblat mentality, we don't have to face toward Jerusalem 
or we don't have to face toward any place. Still, we as Christians do have a, a bit of a need to understand what prayer is all about. Today, that's what we're going to try to talk a little bit about. Now, for some people, when they think about prayer, they think, well, okay, what's the proper position for praying? Well, the problem with that is the Scripture gives different models. The Scripture says bowing and praying is fine. Kneeling is fine. Lying on your face is fine. Standing is fine. Sometimes we have our eyes open, sometimes we have our eyes closed. But again, going back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, praying without ceasing says that we are to be in a spiritual relationship with God that we pray any and all the time. Let us look at the Scripture. Luke 18. Luke 18 shows a Pharisee and a tax collector. Simple story. The first thing we want to look at, though, is the different understanding that these two men had toward themselves and toward God. First of all, we do note that they went to the temple. Now, the temple was the holiest place they could go to to relate to God. So again, we're dealing with Jewish individuals that understood to a certain degree, based on their history and their studies and their lives, all that they were, who God was. They understood that God had active participation in their lives. But in the Pharisees' case, we can see a man who was very good at religion. This last week, I was standing in a location that allowed me to look at our church's building, which is my living room and about 30 seconds away from here. So it's very hard for me to see what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. But you can look out and I just see cars coming and going. And on Monday evening, we had all kinds of cars come because the Cantonese congregation has choir on Monday evening. So we've got all these cars that come. And I started reflecting on the amount of activity within our building. You know, each day we have people coming and going from here for choir, for youth programs, for committees, for building, uh, cleaning of the building, English classes, cutting hair, which, by the way, I greatly appreciate the cutting hair because I always get mine cut here, playing ping pong, study of the Bible, uh, prayer meetings, worshiping together, and many other things. This is a very busy building. Ah. Uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing place to watch as the cars come and go. And yet, I was standing and staring and asking myself, is that all there is? Is that the church? Just coming and keeping the activities flowing, and therefore the church is okay? We can get very much into a habit of religion if we're not careful. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. They are not. Very valuable. They do allow us to do outreach. VBS does great things with outreach. Our, our children's programs does great things with outreach. We've got to keep, continue to do those things, but we've got to be certain that we're doing it for the right reason. Our motivation is an issue. And that was part of the problem that we had when we looked at the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee in Luke 18 thought he was doing fine 
in his spiritual life. Brothers and sisters, I speak of this scripture today because my theory is that not all of us really are doing fine. Some of us are very busy. We do the activities we need to do, but spiritually we're hungry and thirsty and don't know where to go. The Pharisee undoubtedly had many good points. And he did what he thought was pray. He went forth and he did his job. He said, I'm not an adulterer, an evildoer, a robber. And thank goodness I'm not like this tax collector back here who everybody knows is working for the Roman government. And that means he's obviously not good. He didn't hold back from God. He gave his tithe. He fasted beyond what God requested. But it was with all the words that he had to say that sounded very religious that he also revealed heavy pride. You see, pride eats up within any of us if we're not careful. In his vigor to be or to, to, and hunger to be better than other men, his pride took him, took control of him. He was arrogant in his views toward others with a desire to compare himself to others. And yet he was in the temple, the holiest of places. He knew where to go to pray, but his content revealed a problem. God was expected from the Pharisees' perspective to complete his end of the bargain by accepting whatever words he had to say. He treated God as one to be manipulated. When I first moved to Hong Kong, I moved into an apartment on the second floor and the very first night that I was there, I was already in jet lag, wasn't sure where I was exactly, struggling, trying to understand this culture that I was in. I had bars on all my windows. I thought I was living in a prison, which I learned later that the building that I was living in in World War II was used by the police department, and those bars were put there. But uh, I, I went into the room, and in the middle of the night, for me it was the middle of the night, I think I went to bed at 8 o'clock or something, and about midnight, suddenly I started hearing this bang, 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 directly across, probably well, a distance shorter from here than, than to that wall. I looked out into another apartment. Well, I've never been any place in my life where I lived and you could look into other apartments. If you wanted, you didn't, no reason to have a television. You could just look in other people's apartments and see what was going on. And I looked over there and there were these people going around in a circle and they were all dressed up in their Buddhist robes. And it was 49 days after the death of some relative. And they were going around because 49 days after the death of a relative, it said that the, there will be a day that the, the dead person will come back to make sure everything's going okay in the family. That everybody's moving forward with their lives. And there's a lot of superstitions in there. And then gradually I began to notice outside the next day all kinds of little paper mache houses and cars and everything else. And then I learned that those paper mache cars are all supposed to go up to wherever the dead person is so they'll have a nice life, a nice eternity. Well, at that point I began to realize I was no longer in Texas. 
This society, what I was viewing and what I was experiencing was outside of my understanding. But the, the, the point being, these people were doing everything they could to manipulate the situation. To provide the best they could for dead relatives. And sometimes we treat God that way if we're not careful. We try to do things that make Him satisfied with us. And we think we can manipulate, do just enough in our activity and our church involvement and other things that He's satisfied. And it looks like when I look at the prayer of the Pharisee, he had some problems. The tax collector, on the other hand, the tax collector presents a prayer like we've never seen. I would love for us to see this prayer more often. We don't know how often he went to the temple, but we can guess it wasn't very often. Because we noted that he was very nervous and uncomfortable as he got to the temple. He stood back as the Pharisee went forward. Yet he was, this, this tax collector was not naive. He knew he was doing a job that was very unpopular. The tax collector realized that people saw him as a, a tool of the Roman government as he would go into the Jewish communities and demand taxes of them that would then be given back to the Romans. And everyone knew that he did it for his own benefit because as a tax collector, he was able to also pocket a bit of that money himself. And so he did okay financially. So there was a, a, a clarity on the part of this tax collector for who he was and how he was viewed. And yet somewhere down deep within him was a spiritual hunger that he would go to the temple even being ashamed of the job that he was doing, his position in society, and he would still go there to try to clarify and clean up a relationship. He did not earn the acceptance of God's approval in the way that the Pharisee did. He went forth and he had a different type and approach to prayer. So his understanding of himself was clear. His understanding of God was higher than the Pharisee. And the Pharisee was your religious specialist. I think the thing we need to realize, the very people who do not come into our church, the very people that, that are not involved with us on a regular basis, or in any other church, may very well have an understanding of God or a desire to have an understanding and a walk with God that may be deeper than ours. We may have allowed our religiosity to have made our Christian faith too convenient. Whereas many people in our world around us are searching and hungering for something eternally spiritual in their lives. They don't know exactly all the answers. But they do have an understanding of God. Another thing we need to look at in this Scripture is, we, is the prayer content itself. The prayer differences in the content. Very, very simply, the Pharisee, he brought a monologue. He, went, he did his spill. He said, this is how things are. I want you to understand but that I am doing fine. This is a great day to be here because things are going okay for me. There's no humility in his words. All he speaks of are his own personal successes. 
He was direct and without a need to confess. In his own mind, he saw himself as already righteous. Why did Jesus send this? Who, to whom did he send it? He sent it to those people who were self-righteous. Remember the very first verse, verse 9. Here is where we see in here that obviously the Pharisee didn't get it. Where God was in this prayer is anybody's guess, but certainly it was not that God was the focus of the prayer of the Pharisee. God was mentioned in the prayer, but with very little respect toward the Creator. Indeed, I'm not even sure many of us would consider it a prayer. It was more of a bragging opportunity for him. Now, on the other hand, then we see the comparison. And we look and we see what the tax collector did. It says a totally different style. He clearly understood himself now. He understood himself as a sinner and confessed his sin and sought to be heard while asking for forgiveness. Simplicity, sincerity, and focus on God. I think here is an area when we talk about the content is to ask ourselves, when we pray, do we pray a prayer that goes beyond the ceiling of the room we're in? Does it truly reach our Father? Is it because we're praying with the depth of our identity? Is it truly a prayer that's focused on what God can do, giving Him praise, giving Him appreciation, asking for His assistance and direction in our lives? Or is it a prayer that's totally selfish? Or is it a prayer that's only focused on yourself? Another thing we need to look at with the prayer is what lessons do we, or this particular situation, is what lessons do we learn of these men? The Pharisee waxed eloquent, but to no avail. His heart was not repentant and was empty in communicating to the Creator God. In Chinese, there's a great term that they use, belief and belief in depend, sun, sun cow. The difference between these two words has always been important to me because it's one thing to say, I believe, but sun cow ye so in tone. One is actually saying, I not only believe that He exists, I depend on Him. I lean on Him. He is my Lord. For us, I think it's something we have to remember too. Saying you believe in Jesus, good for you. The Scripture says in James that even the demons believe in Jesus, but they don't sun cow. They don't depend on him. They don't allow Him to become the Lord of their lives. So saying you know about Jesus, good for you, not enough. It's not enough. And if we as a church find ourselves just as believers, not disciples, we're a failure. Our challenge here is to hunger to be the disciples of Jesus. Our hunger is to see other people look at us and say, I want to be like Him because He knows how to be dependent on Jesus. Not because you are so great 
in and of yourself, but because you know who Jesus can be in your life. The Pharisee had no clue. He was very good with his religious thinking, but he was missing the point. This is where the tax collector stood up and basically said, with his very few words, something quite different. Because as we remember, the words of the tax collector were very, very limited. It was a very short prayer that he had to offer. The tax collector stood at the distance. He would not even look into heaven, but beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. It is easy for us to read this scripture and understand it. We can see it as a story for them. The question is, does it speak to us? I've heard many sermons on prayer, people waxing and talking and getting into all kinds of discussion and people trying to learn and making their little notes and all that. I'm not sure we need a lot of notes for this. But we do need application. We need to allow prayer to be something we try this day. Something we apply in our lives. There was a man about 500 years ago named John Bradford. He was an English reformer. He was imprisoned in the Tower of London for his faith. During those days, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church were having all kinds of arguments about who should be in charge and and this kind of thing. And ultimately, he ended up being burned at the stake for his Christian faith. He was burned with another man named John Leaf. At that point of uh, going forth to be burned, he said to his friend, he said, you know, we need to be of good cheer. For today, we'll be able to have supper with the Father. This is also the man, John Bradford, who's known for saying, there but for the grace of God go I. For he saw the religious practices of society as inadequate. When we look at the life of this Pharisee, we could see the religious practices are inadequate. But I would say to you, say to me, there but for the grace of God go I. It's easy to play religion. Let's be more than that with our prayer life and our dependence on God. Today we're going to have a special time of prayer. And Brother Gilbert's going to be leading us in that. And I hope we can all learn to appreciate and be more and more hungry for speaking with our Father. Brother Gilbert.